we all feel better. In the dark, better. We all feel better. In the dark, in the dark. And now our featured presentation. Attention! This is a spoilerific spoiler warning. The following episode contains stretches where Tom and Derek will reveal vital plot points, surprise twists, and maybe even endings of films you may not have seen yet. If you do not want to have these films spoiled, please wait until you've seen the films discussed within. If you choose to listen further, you have been warned, so don't come complaining to us. If that doesn't bother you, <laughs> well, cool. Don't call this a comeback, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> How y'all doing? This is Derek Ferguson. And this is Tom DJ. And, and we're back again with another thrilling, exciting, off-the-hook episode of Better, Better in, in the, the Dark. Dark. This is, of course, our periodic review episode. Where we take a look at movies that we've seen both separately really and, and together, together from our previous reviews episode. And for your edification and entertainment, we tell you exactly what we thought of them for better or worse. That's correct. But before we get into that joy, okay, we got our first bit of fan mail here. And it comes from uh, Joel Jenkins, who just today signed up for our mailing list. Really? Which we encourage people to join. And let's see if I can do this again. It is at movies.yahoo.com backslash groups backslash better in the dark. And yeah, he just joined uh, today. It never fails to amaze me when you do that from memory. I barely remember my phone number. But thank you, Joel, and this is especially a pleasure for me because I've had the pleasure of working with Joel. I like to refer to him as one of the best friends I have that I've never met because uh-huh. I've known him online for about 10 years. We've written stories together. Right. We've worked on websites together. He had a uh, website of original fiction called Electronic Tales right. that he ran for a number of years, and he was also a part of uh, Frontier. We've worked on a number of things. But to date, we've never met in person. <laughs> These days, that's more and more uh, common. Yeah, we've known each other for a long time. I would say about like 10 years now. He wrote us our first uh, bit of fan mail. Thank you, Joel. I really appreciate okay, it. Okay, we're going to answer it now. And Tom, Okay. Away. Hi, Derek and Tom. I really enjoyed your episode on the Sinbad movies. In fact, they inspired me to pick up the set of movies to go along with the Jason and the Argonauts and the Clash of the Titans DVDs I already own. I wish I could have found this set for 16 bucks, though. But even at $9 more, they were well worth the price. I thought you both might be interested to know that Harryhausen is currently involved in a comic book project called Sinbad on Mars, and is actually going to be doing the cover art. I'm not sure when the first issue is going to be released. Well, as you know, I've, we talked in that episode, which is episode 8. Yeah. Always keep, keep your faith in Harryhausen, but always tie up your camel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That this was a project that he mentioned many times that I was excited about that I, I never got to see, and now I guess I get to see it. The day it hits the stairs, I'm there to get it. It's a pleasure to see Harryhausen is still out there doing his thing. I was even watching a special on TCM, right. Spielberg on Spielberg, where Steven Spielberg said that Harryhausen was on the set of Jurassic Park, which I didn't know he was a visitor. Oh. He came there, yeah, Steven Spielberg said to Harryhausen, he showed him all of the things that they were doing with the computer animation with the dinosaurs, and he said to Harryhausen, said, this is the future, this is where things are going. Hey. And also, something else that's curious, quite a few people have told me that because of that show, they have been inspired to go out and 
get the and DVD get the Sinbad movies, yeah, and buy the DVDs. For which I'm I'm glad that we were able to inspire some people. Of course, it would be nice if Columbia gave us some money for that. Watch that. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, yeah, well, damn Skippy! Yeah. <laughs> we're glad that you guys are seeking out some of the stuff we recommend. I mean, I'm sure you've been you enjoy all the Sinbad movies. And that episode was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. Thank you. That was a lot of fun. Guys, if you want to write a letter in like Joel did, be sure to get to our email, which is better in the dark. It's better the letter N the dark at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. Because we're always interested in hearing what uh, you like, what you don't like. If you think I'm gorgeous, if you think Tom's an idiot. Or the other Look, way <laughs> I know I'm a swamp creature, okay? No, you know why? Because I read that thing that yes. you did when you got the mix-up about the international, international thing. Yes. <laughs> and you said, oh, yeah, I know I'm an idiot. Yes. Oh, that lad be laughing for me. Uh, the subject for today. Yes, movies. Well, it's always movies. To be more exact, movies that we've seen. From our preview episode right. of a while back, the preview episode that covered the months of May, June, and July. Right. Now, during the course of this quarter, we have seen a total of four of the films that we discussed. You saw the Stephen King adaptation. 1408. I saw the sequel to 28 Days Later, 28 Weeks Later. And we both saw both Spider-Man 3 and Fantastic Four Rise, Oda Silver Surfer. Yeah. So, do you want to go first with the the 1408 starring John Cusack and Samuel Samuel L. Jackson. And yes, Samuel Jackson does curse because, as I've said before, it's not a real movie until Samuel Jackson drops an f bomb. There's demons in the room, and I hope they burn in hell. <laughs> this is a fucking good hotel. Now are you gonna fucking car- check in? There's our explicit tag, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much. One more, we get an R rating. Right. John Cusack plays a writer. Who he, When he started his writing career, he was married to Catherine McCormick, had a daughter. Good deal. Good. And he wrote this coming-of-age book, very Jack Kerouacian. But something happens. We don't know what it is at first, but it turns out that it is a death in the family that turns him cynical. He becomes an atheist and switches from writing these novels to writing these travel guides. Ten haunted hotels, ten haunted inns, mm. ten haunted places, that sort of thing. And he is invited to visit the Dolphin Hotel in New York. Puts in a reservation for 1408, Mm -hmm. which is supposedly this haunted room. And he learns from Samuel Jackson, who is the the manager, Mm -hmm. that there has been an incredible, and I mean an incredible amount of suicides, murders, mishaps that have occurred in that room to the point where about a year into his service as manager, he had that room sealed up and... Gave orders not to rent the room out to anybody. Okay. And he's explained, well, it is cleaned once a year. It's supervised by me. We take no more than 15 minutes in the thing. And John Cusack says, well, has anything happened there? I said, yes, actually. I lost track of one of my maids, and we found her later. She cut out her own eyes. Damn. Yeah, so this is heavy-duty stuff. But Cusack insists. Time to find another job. And he gets set up in room 1408. Mm-hmm. And then the fun begins. Okay. Part of the strength of this film is that the director recognizes that his greatest special effect is, in fact, John Cusack. Who, as we've said in previous episodes, is a marvelous actor. Great range. There's about an hour in this film that is just us watching John Cusack. Yeah. There's no other actor. He's not interacting with anybody. It's 
us being locked in a room with John Cusack, and it's to Cusack's strength that he keeps us engaged yeah. throughout the film. As he gets settles in, the clock on the bedroom table starts to count down for an hour. Okay. Because at one point Samuel Jack says that nobody's less than an hour in room 1408. Some of the best, quote-unquote, gags in the film are the simplest one. There's one scene where Cusack is beginning to realize, oh shit, I'm in deep. <laughs> and he looks out the window and sees that there's somebody in the building across from him. It looks like he's watching television. And he's trying to attract the guy's attention. Very subtly, he realizes that he's looking at himself. Ooh. It's a great moment. It's probably like the biggest creep moment because... There are a lot of attempts where they try to do more like shock cuts, mm-hmm. which don't work as good. It's just that one slow, oh my god, moment. Now let me ask you a question. Yeah. Why doesn't he just leave the room? Because he's locked in. He locked he himself lo- in? The key breaks off in the lock as oh, he tries to leave. Oh, okay. The problem with the film is that somewhere along the line, the director does lose his faith in his main actor. Mm. Somewhere around the 85-minute point, it becomes a big, goofy special effects fest. Okay. With big waves crashing into the room, and fire, and changing paintings and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's where the movie, for a while, lost me. Mm-hmm. Then it becomes it, a spook ride. It becomes a spook ride. Yeah. There's a much creepier moment just before that, where we learn why he's he left New York, and left his wife, even though they're not divorced, and has become this atheistic creature. Mm-hmm. When he has an encounter with the person who died in the family. For a very brief moment, he has a connection with this person again, only to have the person turn to dust Mm. in his arms. You feel Cusack's pain. He's so such a remarkable guy. Oh, God, yes. You remember that movie we saw? I think it was like the first movie we saw together. Identity. Identity he was in. That's a hell of a movie. Mm -hmm. I recommend that movie to everybody. I said, you want to see a really, really good horror movie that had your guests all the way up to the end? Because at no point in that movie did I see how it was going to end. And he was just terrific in it. And as we've mentioned in the past, he is in one of my favorite films of all time, High Fidelity. High Fidelity, yeah. Even though it did lose me in that end point, and there is a totally pointless shock twist at the end, which A, doesn't make sense in the rules of the world that they set up, and B is totally unnecessary and doesn't have anywhere near the impact the director thinks it has. Overall, I don't feel like I wasted my time with the film. How does it stack up compared to other Stephen King movies? Maybe somewhere in that the middle. Seen. Somewhere right. near the top of the middle. Better than Christine? Yeah. Better than The Shining? No. Okay. In the, the, the strata, if you will, of, of Stephen King films, you've got the real, real absolute shit. Mm-hmm. Then you've got a whole big expanse of stuff that's kind well, of middling. The, okay, well, what's the absolute shit? That Needful Things adaptation. Oh, they yeah, did, Needful Things, yeah. That was pretty god awful. Graveyard Shift Graveyard was Shift, pretty right. god awful. There's a lot. Okay. Children of the Corn. Oh, yeah. And then you've got this whole group of things that are just kind of there, kind of okay, kind of middling. Yeah, kind of. Like Christine. I yeah. Christine. And okay. 14 away is on the top level of that middle. Do I recommend you see it in the theaters? Well, of course, you can't do that because it's no longer in the theaters. No, it's still out. No. Okay. I was looking at the newspaper okay. the other day and I saw it's still in the theaters. Would I recommend maybe if you want to, if you're curious about the film, picking it up on DVD? Yeah. Because it's got this great, incredible central performance by Cusack. 
that is really spectacular. He takes that film and puts it on his back and yeah. carries it. And it okay. also has, I've got to also admit, it's also got that real-time element to it. And I'm a sucker for a film that takes place in real time. For about an hour, literally, you're in a real-time Yeah, real-time. It's, it's not a great film, not a drop-everything-and-go-see-a-film, but definitely an interesting way to spend an hour and 40 minutes. Good Saturday Night Radio yeah, when it comes exactly. out on DVD. Okay, cool. So the, keeping with the numbers theme, we go right into the movie I saw, 28, 28 Weeks, weeks later. later, which of course is the sequel to 28, 28 Days, Days later, later, directed by Danny Boyle, well, right. who's got another Sunshine, uh, sunshine a big blockbuster sci-fi epic that's mm-hmm. coming up. Strangely enough, I wasn't all that interested in seeing 28 Days Later. It was mm-hmm. my wife Patricia that wanted to see it because she's into the whole doomsday scenario right. thing. If there's anything about the world ending, she wants to see it. Lately, she's gotten into this thing where she's convinced that zombies are going to overrun the world okay. and take it over. What about the belief that if Shannon Sosserman and Sierra LaBeouf appear in the same movie that the world will end? Oh, absolutely. Okay, I just want to make sure. Now... To recap very quickly for those of you who might not have seen the original movie, in 28 Days Later, London has been overrun by a disease called Rage. It's like a psychological disease that is passed through fluids. People who get infected turn into raging homicidal maniacs that are out to kill anything in their path. In the first movie, the main character woke up, and for the first 20 minutes, he was wandering through a London that was totally deserted until he ran across other people who were not infected. The interesting thing about this movie that we talked about in our George Romero episode, which you should have listened to already, but if you haven't, go back and listen to it, is that 28 Days Later is practically a homage to the first three George Romero. Each act is analogous to to one of the dead movies, right. Mm -hmm. In this movie... 28 weeks later, it is indeed 28 weeks later. London has been taken over by a United Nations group led by the American Army. Right. The United Nations has stepped in. They've cordoned off a section of London, and that's where all of the healthy people are. They're bringing healthy people back into London trying to, to try to repopulate nation. and to rebuild. Mm-hmm. And we follow one of the characters, who, Robert Carlyle, oh, yes. who was most memorable for me, at least as a James Bond villain. Right. He was he, also in train spotting. Danny yeah. Boyle's first film. Right. And he plays an engineer who was forced to abandon his wife and a bunch mm-hmm. of other people in a farmhouse when the infected broke in. And he makes his way back to London where he's rejoined with his two children. Mm-hmm. The people that are in this safe zone, they're living pretty good and everybody's happy. The army has surrounded them and they're keeping the infected out by means of sharpshooters. Now, here's where things get a little bit hinky for me. The kids get out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of this supposedly impregnable right. section of London that's got tanks and soldiers right. and sensors. And they make their way back to their old house where they find their mother, who supposedly was eaten by the infected at the beginning of the movie when Robert Carlyle right. was forced to leave her. They never explain this, though, how she escaped, even though there's a shot where we clearly see them snatch away from the window right. because she's screaming at him, Come back, save me. And he said, hey, baby, I love you, but hey, I right. have to save my own ass. And he takes off like a roadrunner yeah. or a crack. She's been bitten by the infected. Now, she's not infected herself. There's a doctor that runs these tests on her and finds out that she's a typhoid Mary. He's got she carries the she's disease, got the but disease. she's immune to right. it. Right. Now, her husband, Robert Carlisle, 
gets in to see it because he's so overcome with grief. And, of course, his kids are putting the trip on. Like, Daddy, didn't you say Mommy was eating? Right. <laughs> what happened? You know, what's up with that? So he gets in to see her. His whole thing is that he wants to talk to her and make amends. And he kisses her. Boom. This is where the shit starts. Because, of course, now he gets infected. Right. He gets loose. And he runs around. He starts biting other people. Right. And it's not too long before everything is going to hell in a handbasket. Sharpshooters are trying to shoot the infected. But after a while, that's not working. So now they just have to start slaughtering everybody. Right. London goes to Red Alert. They shut off the power. And they're going to bring in a bunch of fighter planes to napalm the whole area. You have one sharpshooter. You have the two kids, you have the doctor, and you have a bunch of miscellaneous people who are there just to get killed, who decide that they're going to make their way out of London because the sharpshooter has a buddy who's a helicopter pilot, played by Harold Perrineau. I hope I'm getting that name right. right. The black guy from Oz. He was in a wheelchair, and he's been in Lost. Mm-hmm. They've got an hour to make it out of London. So this is another movie that takes place in real in time. real time. Because they've got an hour to get out of London before the fighter jets come in. It's not a long movie. Because basically all, right. all it is is just a chase with them trying to get out of London and stay away from the infected. And they've got to avoid the other sharpshooters. The bosses didn't tell them to evacuate. Right. <laughs> so they're still there as well. That's basically what goes on. Is it a good movie? Yeah, it's good. It's a suspenseful movie. Except for the obvious plot holes that I've named, as well as a couple others that come in later on. There's one part where a character shows up near the end of the movie where he has absolutely no business being. Mm. Uh, Another beef I have with this movie is that I am really to the point where I'm tired of this thing where they want to put the camera so-called in the center of the action. So everything is very shaky shaky and confused and hazy. There's two points in the movie where the infected are attacking, and you literally cannot tell what is going on because of that camera method. I don't want to be in the middle of the action. I want to see the action. Put the camera where it belongs and show me the actors doing what they're doing. You don't have to give me all of these faces going, I don't like that technique, and I don't want to see it anymore. Does it have the level of complexity that the first one had? No. Once we get past the plot exposition with Robert Carlyle and his kids and his wife, that's what happens for the first half hour. Set up for the last hour of the movie, which is just this small band of survivors trying to get out of this danger zone before everything gets napalm flat. One character after another is getting knocked off. Some of them in predictable ways, some of them not in so predictable, but one character got knocked off in a way I didn't see coming. I was sitting there, I said, whoa, why Mm -hmm. did they do that to my man? So it's more like a straight action film. It's more like a straight action film. The effect of getting bumped off in very gruesome ways is one part probably remind people of Grindhouse because it looks like there was a similar scene in Grindhouse where helicopters actually used to kill off a whole football field. It's like a whole bunch of the affected is chasing the sharpshooter, the doctor, and the kids. Who the doctor is trying to get out because she theorizes that since they've got the same blood as their mother, they might also have. They the might same have the same right. They might have the same. So that's why she's in such a fever to get these kids out. It's not a terribly complicated movie. It's just action. The scene in the farmhouse. Then you got that about like a half hour plot exposition. Then the last hour, and of course, it leaves you with a hook. I did some research and I found out that yeah, that that there are plans for a twenty-eight months later. later. At the end of the movie, you know, well, it's been out for a while. I don't think well, that's why we're putting the spoiler warning on you're this You're going to put a spoiler warning? Okay. They do leave it as a hook that the rage virus has gotten outside of London. And it has see, the weird thing is, I, you know, and I've seen the first one a couple of times. I was under the impression that it already spread as of that film. 
No, the impression I got was that it was pretty much centralized to London and England. Because at the end of the movie, that's when the Americans right. come. And they make it pretty clear in this movie, the United Nations team has come. And they're trying to keep England segregated from the rest of the world because the virus is centralized right. there. This is my surmise from the dialogue that the rest of the world is untouched. But because there's even talk about nuking mm-hmm. England, period. Just bombing the country off the map in order to get rid of the virus. Is it a good movie? I enjoyed it. Maybe not as much as my wife who orgasm over it. But it's not a bad movie. It's a nice little sequel. It does what I think a sequel should do. It, it's not a retread of the first story. We don't have the same characters from the first one. It continues the story in a logical manner. And except for that thing, as far as the camera work goes, the camera work is so bad in this movie that a major character gets killed off and you actually don't realize it until 15 <laughs> minutes later. You really don't... You say, well, what happened to so-and-so? And then later on you say, well... And then you put two and two together and then you see, oh, that's what happened to right. her, which is to me is unforgivable. You shouldn't be able to tell what's going on at all times. Especially in a movie of this sort, where so much depends on... The audience having all the facts at hand so that they don't feel what's going on, you know, why is this happening? Right. Which is, to me, paramount in a movie of this type. 28 weeks later, I liked it. I recommend it for everybody. If it comes, when it comes out on DVD, you, your time will not Buy, be wasted. Buy, rental, or bargain rental? Rental. Okay, if you're really a fan of 28 Days Later, which I would say buy. Yeah. And I I'm guess, probably going to pick it up when and, it comes out. Yeah, and I guess that if it is going to be a trilogy, it wouldn't make much sense to just rent it. If you've already got 28 Days Later, you might as well go ahead and right. buy 28 Weeks Later. That's my recommendation. All right. It, it was a good... So, so far, so good. We've got two films that we're saying, eh, check it out on DVD. <clears throat> now we got two films that we both saw, although we saw them separately. Yeah. Do we, one we really liked and one we really hated. Mm, so what do you want to do Which one do you want to do first? you want to keep the good vibe going? Because you know when we get to that one... No, let's save the best for last. Okay. We'll save the best. So this way we can go out on a high note. I, I like to go out okay. on a high note. Go ahead. Spider-Man 3. Oh, okay. Film we had a lot of excitement for. Where do we begin with this one? Okay, and I saw that when my mom was having surgery, you, if you remember. Yeah, you went the day that you took it to the hospital. Right. Because I dropped you off at the movie theater. I think that I have a little bit of a better impression <clears throat> of this one than you do, because I thought that there was probably about 70 minutes of it that was salvageable. Okay. The, what was surrounded it was a bunch of crap. Mm, I would say so. Plot. There was a plot? So Mary Jane is in the, her first Broadway musical, New York, played in this film by Cleveland, loves, loves, loves Spider-Man. Mary Jane gets fired. Oh, wait, there's some villains in here too, right? The Sandman, I think. Oh, yeah. So Harry comes, and he's now the new Goblin, Goblin Jr., whatever. Yeah, whatever. And then there's this big meteor. Flying around on a yeah. skateboard. See, no, I liked New Goblin. I thought New Goblin was cool. It's like the difference between classic Coke and new Coke. But you know what it was? It was Jesse Franco realizing, I have permission in this film to not be a moped. To not just be depressing and conflicted and full of vile and venom I'm gonna have fun that scene where he sits down has a heart to heart with Peter in the restaurant right with the pie and he's like this is great pie <laughs> you know? yeah and he's really like full of vim and vigor yeah. cause he's got his memory back by now as well acted as I thought the Sandman was he was the odd person out in this film we ought to go really go okay, back okay go back to the oh, plot this is what we're gonna do we're gonna give you a comprehensive plot of Spider-Man 3 for those of you okay. who haven't seen it Everything is finally going good for Peter Parker. New York finally loves Spider-Man. Right. They're embracing him. 
His relationship is going good with Mary Jane. Life is rosy and sunny for him finally. And then in the meantime, we have the thing with Sandman who escapes from prison. Flint Marco, who is played by Thomas Hayden Church very well in fact. Very well in fact. He falls into some kind of experimental... But first, we have to establish that that he has a very sick daughter, which is why he's a thief in the first place. Okay. He has a wife who is played by, of all people, Teresa Russell. Teresa Russell! Who has, like, what? Three lines of dialogue? She's in the movie for three minutes. I mean, oh my God. And when I saw her, I said, oh my God, Teresa Russell. She makes the most of those three minutes. Yeah. You see what we're talking about, folks? You see how we're jumping back and forth trying to describe this plot that's because that's what this movie does yeah. it jumps back and forth so he, it, it never settles mm-hmm. on one thing what it wants to be or what it's supposed to be about we've got what there's like eight or nine subplots yeah. in the damn thing Flint Marco falls into the world's most unsecure particle accelerator which is what next to the prison yeah somewhere I don't know it's somewhere near there falls into this particle accelerator it becomes the Sandman which is a being man out of living sand meanwhile you've got this guy, Eddie Brock, who is a rival photographer of Peter Parker. Played by Topher Grace. Who is a total dickwad. Okay. He has this delusion that he has a relationship with Gwen Stacy, okay. who has a thing for Spider-Man. And who, coincidentally, is in the same class with Peter Parker in yeah. college. If you take coincidence... Well, by the way, is- I do want to say something. Somebody who thought that Bryce Dallas Howard was a creation of M. Mike Shyamalan. She quits herself quite well, and my... Freaking lord, is she fucking hot in this film? Mm-hmm. So much so, I was like, oh, "Why are you still doing this thing with with Mary Jane?" Because you know my problems I've had with the Mary Jane character. Here it goes, folks. And she is at her worst. Here she goes. Mary Jane is at her worst in this film. But you she's know what? Whiny. I- she is self-centered. The whole thing could have been stopped. She just said, "Pete, I got fired from the music." I had a problem with, with that, and this goes to characterization. Yeah. She seemed to like it better when Peter was a whiny, mopey guy. Oh, everybody yeah. hates me. I'm broke. Now in this movie, Spider-Man's a hero. Everybody loves him. As Peter Paul, he's got more confidence. Right. He's walking around. So she doesn't seem to like that. She's got an attitude now because Peter's confident and Spider-Man's a hero. She loses her job in the Broadway musical, which probably wouldn't happen that way. Her agent yeah. probably would have told her, well, listen, you're going to cut you from the thing and whatnot. Right. They had this dumb scene where she walks into the theater and, and her, replacement. Her, under, her understudy is in there. And then, like you said, she goes out to dinner with Peter. Now, to my mind, the first thing you would say is, oh, guess what? I got fired from the job. Right. She goes through what? The rest of the movie? The rest never like, tells him. Kirk Vermont, I think, you know what he finds out? I think he finds out from Harry. And I never liked... Kristen Dunst's Mary Jane to begin with. She is just intolerable in well, this yeah, film. Well, yeah, well, you were prejudiced against her. Yeah, I'll give the girl a fair break. No, no, I did <laughs> I'm sorry. This is just a bad... The CGI fights in this movie, I could not tell what happened. I could not describe yeah. any one of them fights, especially the first one between Peter Parker and, the, and, ha- and, and Harry Parker, and the new goblin. Who's not in costume. Right. Oh, that's another problem I had with this film. What? More so than the other two. I think there's more time with uh, with McGuire in the costume without the mask than there is with the mask. Why does anybody wear masks in this movie? Every five minutes he's taking off his mask. Right. There's even a part where he's standing on the rooftop in full view of the right. crowds that is waiting for him and he's got his mask on. Right. Harry has the new goblin. He's got some kind of face plate. But yeah. it keeps going up and down, right. up, up and, and down. down, up and down. Sandman doesn't have a mask to begin with. Well, that would have been a little bit too much. I defy anybody to tell me to adequately describe, well, I couldn't tell who was doing what, what was happening with the characters. The first fight, that was just too dark. 
the fight that was and in what the was sewer this between him and the Sandman. That Raimi had with every time there was a fight scene with the Sandman, the Sandman becoming giant. I wanted to see him do cool stuff like he did in the you comic know, book, like turn your hands into maces and stuff. Yeah, yeah, he didn't do any of that stuff. One time he, when they were yeah. in he, the he fight, did the sledgehammer thing in the right, fight in the tunnels. Went, and in the armored car fight, yeah. he turned his fist into hammers. That was yeah. the only time he did it. I already mentioned Bryce Dallas Howard, who, if you asked me, they should not bother rehiring Kirsten Dunn. Let's make Gwen Stacy the, the female lead okay. for the next film. Because right. that's going to happen. Thomas Hayden Church is exceptional in this film. Yes. I thought he made a perfect sand. The thing is, though, is that I almost wish that the Sandman wasn't in this film because he has the least amount to do. Let me ask you something. The yeah. whole thing when they introduce the thing with the sick little girl, his daughter, yeah. is, he goes on this crime spree to get the money. How did he think he was going to get the money to her? I don't know. How was she going to keep it? I don't know. Oh, okay. So I ask these questions because I yeah. think it's just me. And I have my wife saying to me, oh, Derek, well, you're too picky. You're too picky. No, I'm not picky. Topher Grace, Topher Grace is great as Eddie Brock. I even prefer the movie version of Venom far, far more than I like the comic book version of Venom. The only problem I had with Venom as a whole is the goofy way they introduce the symbiote. If you take coincidence out of this movie, you don't have a movie. Right. Peter and Mary Jane just happen to be in Central Park. The symbiote just happens to fall out of mm-hmm. the sky, and it just happens to land next to them, and it just happened to latches on to Peter's right. motorcycle. And ha- oh man, come on, give me a break! I know this is like a little bit, but you and I have talked about this. The Ditkovic family, who in the second film was treated like a cartoon, right? The Russian landlord, the Russian landlord, and his daughter, and his daughter actually, which in itself sounds like a <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it sounds like a setup for a joke. Yes, well, the superhero walks into the but but. They're fleshed out in this film, whereas in the second film, Dickovic, the landlord, was just a joke. You find that he has a great deal of depth to his character. There's a nice scene where... where he, he says, when Peter is under the influence of the symbiote, the symbiote, and he picks up on this and he goes, no, this is a good boy. Yeah. There's something wrong There's with something him. There's something wrong with him. This is a good man. Peter snaps at yeah. him. You think that he's going to come back and he says, no, this is a good guy. He says, there's something going on with yeah. him. And, and I think the scene you're referring to, when he has the heart-to-heart with Peter. Yeah. Him aside. yeah. I thought it was a very nice scene. And for the life of me, I don't know the name of the actress who plays her, but Ursula, the mm-hmm. daughter, she's a really nice little character. She's a sweet girl. Hell, I'd prefer her to marry Jane. Because you really like the scene where he's on the phone talking and she brings him a plate of cookies. Yeah, and the the great thing about her as a character is she's into Peter. She doesn't give two craps about Spider-Man, whereas both Mary Jane and Gwen Stacy, there's a definite vibe that they have a thing for Spider-Man more than they have a thing for Yeah, absolutely. Of course. Can you say anything Um, else I like the fact that Raimi kept, even though the characters were switched around a bit, Mm -hmm. so that Gwen Stacy became the model and not Mary Jane Watson, Mm -hmm. he kept the character of Gwen Stacy, just the decent human being. And that's seen very clearly in that utterly goofy-ass scene in the jazz bar. I'm sorry. Me, I like it when characters act like an ass. And when, right. when Peter Parker turns into a complete dick for that section of... When he becomes emo boy Peter. When he becomes more interesting. But, I mean, there's that big dance number. Big, and he dips Gwen Stacy and uh-huh. looks up directly at Mary Jane. Gwen puts two and two together and figures out that this is all an elaborate yeah, this joke. Is all set up. What's yeah. the first thing she, does she do? 
she goes up to Mary Jane and she apologizes. It's a little thing, but it, like I said, it, it shows it, it's in character that Raimi cared enough about this character because that's exactly what the Gwen Stacy from the comic would have done. But I just love that scene where he's walking out, he's doing finger shit, and, and, and he's doing the. The, <laughs> the one thing I liked, I couldn't stand oh that whole God. sequence, but the one thing I did like about that little scene that was funny. is that half the girls are going. Who the fuck yeah, do yeah, you think yeah. you are? Because if you look at the girls yeah. when they pass by, they're like laughing at yeah. him when he goes by. He's the only one that thinks he's cool. But it's a funny scene. But otherwise, as you well know, and as those of you who have been listening to these podcasts regularly, God bless your souls, I'm not a big fan of the Spider-Man movie. I like the first one. I like the second one mostly because of Alfred Molina's right. performance as Dr. Octopus, but I'm really not a big fan of... And this one is the work. I think it made almost more than um, two. Because the fanboys, God bless right. them, as long as they got Venom, they didn't care. I would have cut the Sandman out entirely. Raimi, even with the stupid way they... I thought they were going to introduce him the way they introduced Venom in the, the cartoon series. Uh-huh. Particularly because they they all out of their way to establish John Jameson in the second film. Right. And have him bring Venom down as something from outer space. Which would have made a lot more sense. Just as a perfect example of how this movie doesn't make a lick of sense is they have the scene where Peter takes a piece of the symbiote oh, yes. and he takes it to... Dr. He, Connors. He takes it to Dr. Kirk Connors. Now, let me ask you something. If you're a college professor and your student brings you an alien life form, what do you do? You just... Call NASA. Yeah, thank you. You're just, like, blasé about it? Or, even? if you're a little more mercenary, call the Museum of Natural History. I guess this is the Marvel Universe. College students bring in alien yeah. life forms every day. I didn't get that at all. That that's another waste. Just like Teresa Roth, that's another waste of a tremendous actor. <laughs> Dylan Baker is on the screen for how long? Again. Maybe a grand total of four minutes between his two appearances? Yeah. It's a mess. Now, I would have kept Sandman in this okay. movie. I would have given Teresa Russell a much bigger role, mm-hmm. and I would have had him just be the villain of this movie. But you keep the Eddie Brock subplot, yeah. and then at the end of the movie... Be- the Brock in the movies has a much more well-defined character, yeah. has a much clearer reason for hating Peter Parker, and yet it's still the dickweed that we know and love from the comics. What I like about it also, that actually, the two of them resemble each other yeah. more than a bit, so it's like he's the anti-Peter Parker. Right. I like that kind of touch. Yeah, but I would have set it up, so at the end of the movie, and then you have Eddie Brock being taken over by the symbiote, right. thereby setting it up for four and having be the right. villain in four. Because now... The Spider-Man movies is getting into the same area that so many other superhero movies have fallen into where you got too many villains. You know what they're talking about now what? for four? They're talking about, at the very least, the Lizard and Electro. Recently, Sam Raimi has said, well, I'll be willing to come back, but what I want to do is the Sinister Six. Let's see. Which, I mean, I'm just thinking would be a total clusterfuck. Of course not. You've got six villains. And now you've got Avi Arred, who's now pushing for Carnage. Because that's what happened. Apparently, the original script, it was just New Goblin and Sandman. But I know that you didn't care for him that much, but I like Jesse Franco's arc in the storyline. If, if Raimi just could have thought of another reason to have him have that change of heart in the end. Yeah. That whole thing with the butler just stank up, desperate, yeah. say machina. Yeah, what was that all about? He had too much movie, and he had to get too much oh, in. My. No, actually, I like James Franco. I didn't dislike him as much as you think. However, I did feel like they retreaded the whole thing from the first movie. Yeah, once with, again, uh, we've got Cliff Robinson doing a cameo. Once again, we've got William Defoe doing a cameo. Yeah, but then they had the whole thing where he lost his memory, and yeah. then him and Mary Jane started flirting. Mm-hmm. Of all the Mary Jane moments in this film, that scene in the kitchen is the one scene where I was, okay, I could accept her. What are you talking about? That 
makes her look like a fickle, you know what? But she's at her most relaxed, and that she's not crying, whining, bullshit. Uh-huh. Which is what she is throughout this whole damn fool film. And there was a certain charm into that sequence. Yeah. You know? Okay, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Well, see, this is the problem with this movie. There's so many bad moments in it. We, you see, we're even arguing we're over desperate. The, we're, even we're desperate ar- to grab onto what little is. We're even hurt. arguing over the yeah. bad moments. Yeah. We wish there were so many of them. Where do you start? Where do you start? But like you said, it made money. Which, which is, is why we're did. getting four, five, and six. They've already committed to three more films. Which is the bottom line. Fanboys, God yeah. bless them. They lined up to see because as long as Venom was in it, they didn't care. Yeah. But I think this is a, an example of the first two films were all a Raimi. So yeah. there was a definite unity in both of the films. Right. This was a film where supposedly Avi Ared came in and said to Sam in no uncertain terms, you've done your film. Yeah. You have to do something for... The other people so. now. and ins- had insisted on the inclusion of Venom. I've read that in more than one reputable source. And that, I give yeah. Raimi credit that he found the best way he could do Venom as possible. Right from the first movie, they wanted to try to get, and he said no. But they said no. This time we want Venom. You got to put Venom in. So right. he put it in. Yeah. And he probably killed them all. <laughs> Thank yeah. God. This is the only film where one of the, the villains survives. Yeah, Sandman. I mean, the bottom line is no. No, yeah. no, no, no. Not worth a rental. No, not. Ha. No. <laughs> I wanted my money back after yeah. I saw it in the movie theater. But let's go to the really, really good news. Now you see why okay. I said save this one right. in, so we go on. Get, the, get the vitriol out. You recall in episode six we talked about the Fantastic Four franchise. Yep. And we talked about how we really didn't care for the first Fantastic Four film. No, we did not. Well, the good news is the second one came out. Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer, and I really, really like this one. This is probably the rarest animal in movies. A sequel that's better than yeah. the original. Not that it's perfect in any way. No, not by any stretch of the map, but, and I'm going to tell you something. This movie was a pleasure for me to watch because we finally got a superhero movie where the superheroes are having fun yeah. with their superheroes. They're going off on adventures. They're using their powers to help people. They're not wallowing in angst. It's a pleasure to go see a movie where it's got superheroes being superheroes. I think a large part of this goes towards the fact that the, well, three of the four leads now are so comfortable with each other that lack of chemistry that I complained about in the first one is there now. There's a definite easiness between these characters. I believe now that Reed Richards and Ben Grimm are... Are friends, yeah. I've been friends for For most of their life. It's just a really nice, simple little film. Well, I think they got that right in the first movie, but in this movie I was really impressed by the way that the characters of Ben Grimm, the thing, and Johnny yeah. Storm, Human Torch. You really see that they bonded in yeah. this movie. And on one hand, they're bickering brothers who you know, mm-hmm. always the top fighting, but then they have some quiet scenes where they're sitting down and right. talking to each other about their lives, and they sell the scene. And to their credit, they said they were going to give more things to do to Kerry Washington as Alicia Masters. They were good on their work. Everything they said that they were going to do in this film, they were good on their word on. Yeah. There are a couple of sour notes, though. You want to get to the plot first? Let's get to the plot. It's the impending wedding of Reed and Sue Richards. In fact, we see Reed bachelor party. And the whole world is anticipating. And it's like these guys are major A-list celebrities. They're like the benefit of this world. Yeah. Except on the, the day of their wedding, this weird phenomena shows up. 
They are approached by Andre Brauger, an old friend of Reed Reed Richards, Richards yeah. who explains that there is this weird phenomenon they've been tracking in space for a while, that every time it goes to a planet that is filled with life energy, seven days later, the planet dies. Right. It's out of existence. And it's coming for Earth. Reed is like, going, I'm sorry, I can't, I've got a wedding to plan. i got a wedding to plan, yeah. Greg, he's secretly, he's secretly working bi- on this. He's secretly building a scanner that will... Track this thing. thing when it comes to Earth and we'll let him know. This thing tracks it right to his doorstep during yeah. the wedding, and it's the Silver Surfer. They try to beat the Silver Surfer. Silver Surfer beats down Johnny Storm pretty badly. Right. And he then proceeds to dig holes throughout the Earth. Which is one of the coolest things about this movie. In the original comic book story, mm-hmm. it was like the Silver Surfer just came to Earth and then he just right. said, okay, Galactus, come on down. Lunchtime. They but put some this, thought into but this. But in this one, yeah. he actually has a purpose for why he's staying on Earth. Right. He's digging these huge shafts that goes to the core of the planet. That will allow Galactus' access. For Galactus, who in this movie Look to me like Vija from Star Trek. You never saw he Star Trek. He looked like... No, I did like, see. I did okay, see, yeah. so you remember Star Trek? The movie? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it had that cloud thing. But if you look closely at it, there was this vaguely scorpion-like shape to it. There definitely was something animal about it. I've read on other message boards and I've read in other reviews. When the DVD comes back, I'll have to do a frame-by-frame right. frame look at it. Supposedly, you can see the outline of Galactus's helmet in the cloud. At one point, at when it, he's passing over Saturn. Yeah. And Saturn's rings break up, you see the shadow. And at the end of the movie, they said, yeah. when the Silver Surfer is going through right. the cloud, they said that you can briefly see the outline of the helmet right. in the cloud. I don't know, I didn't see it in the movie, but then again, I wasn't looking now, for the, it. Now, the other thing is that, for some reason, the presence of the Silver Surfer causes changes in personages that already have been infected with cosmic, cosmic energy. energy. Because in, he's cosmic right. power. In the case of Doctor Doom, it actually brings him back to life and cures him, so he's no longer scarred and ugly. In the case case of the Fantastic Four, it gives them this weird phenomenon where if they connect, they touch each other, they switch powers. powers. And in fact, there's a fairly exciting action sequence in London on the, the foot of the Millennium Wheel mm-hmm. where Johnny accidentally touches Reed, Reed yeah. and... And they switch powers. There's a genuinely right. funny moment before that where he touches his sister, Sue Storm, yes. and they switch her powers. And she She's is, freaking out! Which is what a person finding themselves on fire would actually yeah. do. That's a pretty funny scene. And yeah. he switches powers with the thing briefly. Right. Just so Michael Chiklis, we can see his face. Yeah. They, they figure out a way to capture the Silver Surfer. And he is brought to this Siberian military installation. Right. We learn that Doctor Doom, who has put his lot in with the military right, the has been all along been waiting for this moment because he steals the surfer's powers just as Galactus is showing up so the Fantastic Four have to deal with a military that doesn't want the meddling mm-hmm. because of course Andre Broderick isn't just a general he's an evil general Cosmic Doctor Doom has to deal with the military and has to stop Galactus Right, all in the space of about 20 minutes and it works! Which makes for a thrilling, exciting ending. And the, you know what the nice thing about this film is? It's 90 minutes. You know what? I don't have anything against long movies. It's such a pleasure to go see a movie where you don't have to invest half a day to right. go see it. You go in, I went in, I saw it was daylight, I came out, it was still yeah. daylight. You got to go a nice, fantastic four yeah. adventure, and you came out, and you still got the rest and of And I like the fact that thing. what I thought was just going to be a gag... You know, the whole switching powers thing was integral to the plot. Because what ends up happening is the other three contribute their power to Johnny, who's been having this insecurity problem throughout the whole film. Which is another thing I really loved about this movie. They had a nice story arc for Johnny where he learns a little bit of... Because through the movie, 
He's like the huckster of the team. Right. He goes around and he's getting endorsements for them. He sold the rights to videotape yeah. the wedding. And he grows up a little in this movie. He learns about responsibility and being a Just yeah. time to get his own girlfriend. Right. There's a lot of elements in this movie that really, really work for me. And they got it right. And I loved it. I loved it from yeah. start to finish. Well, let's briefly touch <clears> on a few sour notes. But before we do that, there's yes. one more positive okay. that we should go on. The stellar physical performance by, by Doug Jones. We should give credit with Even credit. though Lawrence Fishburne he did the voice. Does the voice. Of and I also like the fact that once again they play it true to the comics in character. Mm-hmm. Because he he has this confrontation with Sue where Sue's asking him and he explains, Yes, I did this so that Galaxus would spare my world. My home. And the woman I love who reminds me a little bit of you. That's why I didn't blast you when I first <laughs> met you. And the few changes they do make to the canon uh-huh. are acceptable changes. The whole idea that the board rather than he is the source of the power. Okay, right. I, can, I can buy that. So but it, you know what I liked also? What? I liked also that they didn't make it look like a surfboard. Like a, like a sliver of energy almost. Exactly. So that's how you could buy it. It was more like an extension of his body right. that he was standing on. Because there's even actually at one point in the movie, we just see the board is as, yeah. and he comes out of it. So you say, whoa, yeah. why did he do that for? So right. I really didn't mind. I know some people say, oh, oh, well, where, oh, where did they get that? That the power is in the board. Well, I didn't look at it so much as a board, as a platform right. that he had made from his own mm-hmm. silvery extension to stand on. And there's some really cool action sequences. This is yeah. everything that the first Fantastic Four wasn't. It gave us exotic locales. They go to Japan. They go, they go to, to England, Siberia. Go England, to Siberia. Yeah, it's all- we got gadgets. We got the fantastic car. I know some people didn't like it. I thought it was. I thought it was wonderful, a- man. It was a Although the one of the few sour notes I didn't like about the film was that they really went overboard with the with the product placement. But that fitted right in with Johnny's whole thing yeah. being a huckster. He went to Dodge and said, "Does it have a Hemi?" No, but the thing is, he didn't know about the fantastic car. Oh, that's right. Because yeah, right. remember, he's like looking up the yes, lines. Could rebuild it. Yeah, and he asked three. Does it have a Hemi? And like Redon. So yeah. of course it does. Eon Guilford, who I slagged on something fierce in the episode six. Uh-huh. He's in the role now. He is having a great time. Oh. Yeah, he has a great scene where him and Andre Brower they're having a confrontation. Oh gosh, yes, the he goes up there and, and Andre Brown was letting him have it and said, you know, I'm not taking anyone from no lame brain geek and this and that. Reese says you you know, well, He's like, you, you go, know what? You go ahead. He he go, go, I, I let me see if I can like, remember this. Because I know you got it memorized word for word. He's, you know what? Yeah, I was a geek. Mm-hmm. And now I'm I'm going to be married in a few days to the hottest woman on the planet. Uh-huh. The captain of the football squad is my best friend. Uh-huh. The, the guy who was in charge, the guy who was bullying me, is waiting for me to give the order. Uh-huh. And that's, of course, and leads Andrew, to my other favorite moment. And Andrew Brower just gives yes. him a look at And he backs down. Yeah. He says, okay. Let's and that, of course, it. leads to my other favorite quote, which is, of course, the totally deadpan Jessica Alba going, I am so hot for you right now. <laughs> and Johnny Walter wraps all yes, around. so am I, big guy! So am I. <laughs> oh, man. But part of that comes down to what I think lies at the heart of the concept of the Fantastic Four, which is what I've always said. People say, oh, what do you mean they're not superheroes? No, they're not superheroes. They're adventurers. They're scientists. They're explorers. And you know, this is what they do. And this movie wasn't about them fighting supervillains. It was about... You know, there's that subplot where Sue is worried about this life being not right for having kids. Right. And they have this honest talk about 
we'll quit, we'll go off, we'll get a suburban house, which is kind of like a nice little nod to the John Byrne era. John Byrne era, yeah. And you have Johnny and Ben, and ben going, worried about what, what we're going to do. Yeah, exactly. You know, what are we going to do? Family, things family's worried they, they, about. They, they have conversations in this thing that families right. don't talk about. To me, that's the core of the whole Fantastic Four. They don't go out and stop bank robbers. Right. They don't go out and fight supervillains. That's something that they do on the side. Right. Their main thing is that they are pushing back the boundaries of the known and the right. unknown. If you, I just love this movie. From yeah. start to finish, I sat there with a big grin on now, my face. Now, as much as it pains me to say this, okay. one of the biggest flaws in the film for me... You're going to give the poor girl a break. No. You know I give that poor girl a lot of breaks. <laughs> Okay. You know I adore Jessica Alba. I, I think she is so smoking hot. But what? she is the weak link yeah. in this film. Yeah, she, she really is. She is not Sue Storm. She tries hard. And I'm going to give her all the credit in the world. But there's not one thing in there she does that I never you... believed her for a minute. And I think part of it was because everybody else had approved around her. Eon Guilford and Chris. Chris Evans was always cool. Yeah, he was fan. always good. Chicklist was always great. Everybody else has in elevated their craft. Yeah, they cranked it up enough. Where there's a genuine warmth and a unity about these mm-hmm. people. And she's still at that level that she was in the first film. Yeah, she's not been able to step up. And to because she is a central part, once again, the Reed Sue romance is very central it to is this. It's very vital film. to the whole thing. It doesn't quite work. Mm-hmm. That aspect doesn't quite, especially because there's the whole thing with the Silver Star. Oh, you remind me of Shalop. It just it doesn't refer to a Shalop. You remind me of the woman I love. Yeah, the woman I love. Yeah. The the final thing we're not going to say what it is, but the final no. thing that happens where I kind of wish that okay, you, you can stay down, stay down. You- also, I think that they could have given a little more effort to making Andre Brauger into a more fully rounded character. And not just make him. I'm the general of evil. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah the standard army guy who yeah. might shoot first, ask questions later. And the other thing that I think that they didn't have in character, which I guess we should mention, that as much as we like Julia McMahon, yeah. and he's a wonderful actor, he is totally miscast as Dr. Doom. He's a wonderful thought, actor, but you know what? and they don't, don't give him anything to do. I don't do. think it's him. You know, everyone's yeah, talking right, about right. how terrible he is. He does the best with what he's given. But this is what I'm about to say, that he's a wonderful actor, but they don't give him anything to do. You know what would bother me the most? The, the scenes where before he dawns, and that's new armor that he's got is hideous with all the curly cues. During those sequences where he's trying to pretend to be working with Reed, mm-hmm. and he's dressed in the black, he comes off as the world's smarmiest frat boy. They don't get the character of Doctor Doom. They have the part of the movie where he steals the power of right. the Silver Surfer. He's flying through the air, cackling, talking about I'm going to destroy the Fantastic yeah. Four. No, you know what Doom would do? Doom would go and he would destroy Galactus. Right. I I'm would destroy Galactus. Everyone would love me. I would get to institute world order. Exactly. And he don't want to destroy Reed Richards because he want Reed Richards to see how much exactly. the world hails Doom as a savior. The and frustrating thing is there's no reason for Doctor Doom to be in this Absolutely film. none at all. You could have easily have had General Evil steal the Silver Surfer's right. powers. And do the same thing. Well, you know what? I'm going to go destroy Galactus yeah. and then I'm going to go destroy the rest of America's enemies right. and make the world and then, fantastic right. will go after him. That's what they should have did. It's not all puppies and sweet. Those flaws... Not, and I, I would even go so far as to say, you know there's going to be a third one. Right. Because this did fairly well. As much as it pains me to say it, I think they should recast Sue Storm. 
but they're not going to do it. Well, I mean, you know, she signed up for the mandatory three movies. Right. All of them signed up for the mandatory three. Even uh, Julian McMahon, I, I saw an interview with him where he said, yeah, Doctor Doom is going to be back. That's like the only major But you know, if they keep the same wonderful spirit of fun and adventure right. that they had in this one, I, I, I could suffer through Jefferson's yeah. all, but I'll take her. Okay. As long well, as they I'll keep, take her. As long Not as for the they, reason you may think, but yeah, I'll take her. But we're agreed on Fantastic Oh, definitely. Four. Fantastic definitely. Four, Rise of the Silver so Surfer. Surfer. Buy it, rent it, do, steal well, it, whatever you gotta do to see it when it comes on DVD. This was be- easily the best this film is, we saw. Everybody says, and I'm saying it too, this is the movie they should have made first. Yeah. If they had made this one first, boom, no problem. Let's just be glad that they did make it. I'm grateful because I would have hated having to look forward to a third one again. And yeah, if it had been you know, like the first one. Yeah. yeah. So. Sum up. That's such a bad grouping uh, no, today. The only uh, one that we really out and out hated, which is Spider-Man, Spider-Man 3. 3, 1408. 1408. Eight, you said it was good. A rental. It was okay. It was a rental. It was okay. a decent film. 28, 28 weeks later, later, a rental. Yeah, yeah same film. thing. Decent film. Nothing to orgasm and over, but yeah. the big surprise, Fantastic Four. Rise of the Silver Surfer, which I think we both agree is that this is the one they hit it out of the Oh, park. yeah. And they made up for the sins that were yeah. the first and one. And if you haven't seen it yet in the movie theater... Definitely when they come was it out just with a DVD. Me, by the way, or did Chickless have a slightly different outfit? They probably give him a difference and maybe something a little lighter yeah, they, weight. Yeah, they did. I know because uh, I saw an interview with him on the Fox Movie Channel where he said that in this suit he could actually take off the head because he had serious claustrophobia. Good issues, for him, man. Issue, and they actually had a psychologist on the set. On the set, just so when he had, he had an attack, she could help. Lord him knows, I understand yeah, how much right. you want to avoid a panic attack. Yeah. But he said they really were considerate of him, and in this suit he could. Actually, take yeah, the head off. But definitely aces from us. Oh, yeah. So not, not as bad as last time. Not, not as, bad as bad as last, last time. time at all. What do we got to do? Well, you know, we, we got to do our cleanup. Once again, we want to remind anybody who wants to tell us good things, bad things, and different things, send us pipe bombs, candy, flowers, whatever, to use our Gmail box, which is better in the dark. Which is better, the letter N, the dark, at gmail.com. Please vote for us every month at Podcast Alley. Every single month. That's right. I don't want no excuses. excuses. And take the time to visit some of our other friends who we mention every once in a while in other episodes. Because they are good people and they have good podcasts and you might want to listen to them as well. And of course, please join us in the fun that is the mailing list. I think I'm going to start a new thread tonight. Because after watching Die Hard earlier this week, I want to know when did the American action movie get so stupid? (laughs) Because <laughs> you look I mean seriously You look at Die Hard And Die Hard is smart In every single sense Of the word Well that's why It's still a classic yeah. so That's why it started It's all those subgenres mm-hmm. Yes yeah, so join us On our mailing list Which is Here we go again Movies.yahoo.com Backslash groups Backslash better in the dark And uh, until next time That is it We're closing up the lights We're sweeping up the junky popcorn At the bottom of the (laughs) carpet And it's good night for me And this is good night for me Derek Ferguson And whatever you do No matter what you do Whether you love it or you hate it Go see that movie Good night Good night everybody God bless You've been listening to Better in the Dark Featuring Thomas DJ and Derek Ferguson Special thanks go out to Eric and Kelly at Podcrawlers and the members of the Better in the Dark Yahoo group at movies.groups.yahoo.com backslash group backslash Better in the Dark. Better in the Dark figures that, contrary to Chris Johnson's wishes, Sam Raimi won't introduce the hypno-hustler until at least Spider-Man 7. Previous episodes for the show can be downloaded from betterinthedark.podomatic.com. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, and pipe bombs to betterinthedark at gmail.com. 
That's better, the letter N, the dark, at gmail.com. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation. All material copyright, Thomas DJ and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, remember that it's not wise to buy anything travel-related. A hotel room, a plane ticket, anything from Samuel Jackson.